Welcome to the Sea Trade Maritime Podcast. You're listening to Marcus Hand, editor of Sea Trade Maritime News. Today we are in conversation with Tom James, CEO and CIO of Tradeflow Capital Management. Tradeflow is a fund that specializes in trade finance for SMEs and has deep connections to the commodities and shipping markets. We sat down for coffee with Tom for a conversation that focused on the outlook for commodity markets in the coming year. Our listeners are mainly from the shipping side. Perhaps you can give a brief overview of how developments were last year and then coming into this year. Well, I think uh, last year, of course, was again another <laughs> unprecedented year of volatility and uncertainty uh, with the, obviously, the Russian invasion of Ukraine. I mean that is still affecting shipping this year, particularly obviously with the the Black Sea and also within the commodity sphere uh, around the grains and the lack of exports from the Ukraine, which was, uh, you know, a breadbasket for Europe and and for a lot of uh, northern world, including Africa. So we saw last year, of course, commodity price inflation, dramatic jumps up in uh, general food prices. That contributed to inflation last year. Inflation because of oil as well, um, prices slowing down. Um, in fact, this year, oil prices expect to be pretty stable now. I mean, we've seen all the Russian imposed sanctions, controls, pretty much a lot of the unknowns and unknown unknowns are out there. So, uh, never say never. But certainly means that oil prices should be averaging around $88, $89 per barrel this year. That seems to be the general consensus. Grain prices, you know, are still strong, expected to remain strong. That's all as supply chains continue to try to reallocate sourcing. The Ukraine conflict continues and looks set to carry on for certainly all of this year, and possibly into next year. So that seems to be uh, what uh, people are having to to budget for. Obviously inflation slowing down, mainly as a result of the fact we've seen a sort of step up in a lot of agri-markets. So now it's more changes on commodity prices now will be down to the more subtle, longer-term impacts of the Russian-Ukraine conflict, which has really come about through um, the fertilizer markets. So for more than obviously almost a year now, Ukraine, Russia, exports of fertilizer products. China also, in response to protecting their own domestic market, also has still controls on certain chemical fertilizer exports as well. So there has been a shortage there. And so not only the cost of fertilizer has been higher, but also the availability has still been a bit of an issue. So that is maybe later this year start to be reflected in terms of the actual yields, the amount of agri-products that can be produced where fertilizer has not been so accessible. That's the more subtle impact which we'll now start to see uh, kicking in in terms of uh, supply side. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to drill down in some of that in a little bit more detail. Oil, you put a sort of broad price there, I think $95 for this year. Why do you say that and what are the factors involved behind that? Last year was very volatile because we had uncertainty over Russian oil supply, Russian embargoes. Then towards the end of last year, obviously in the shipping sector, further controls around which ships 
Russian oil could be carried on without certain price caps being effective on the sale price of that oil. So a lot of those things are out of the way now. So the focus is very much now on Saudi as the usual kind of uh, king of uh, sort of the oil production side of things and what they do within OPEC to moderate oil prices. We have to remember that OPEC as an organization of petroleum producers, exporting countries, you know, they never want to see sudden jumps up in prices. They like to see strong prices, that's good for their budgets, but they want to see sort of stable, quite predictable prices because that helps their consumers' budget better. They don't want sudden jumps up, which scares uh, and, and make people look at alternative commodities, look at alternative fuels and biofuels. So that's something there. So that's why you know we're looking at the government spending in the Middle East, uh, which is a good determinant factor because the the cost of production of oil in the Middle East is actually very low. So the best thing to look at is actually how much money are people spending. <laughs> so Saudi, we see huge economic uh, growth and opening of Saudi Arabia, big projects going on. So they're certainly going to want to have these the, the stable higher prices that we're seeing at the moment. The sort of 88 to that sort of 95 range, which seems to be the range of, of, of uh, opinions out there in the market, seems to be any dampening effect on prices rising is the uncertainty over global economic you know, recession and slowdowns. I guess a backdrop to that now, China is reopening. So at least we've got China back in the game and ramping things back up again, economically speaking. So that brings a bit of stability, certainly for the second half of the year, but stability, but may, maybe not massive demand growth. You have the sanctions on Russia. How much impact is that going to have going forward, or is that now all pretty much factored in? India is perhaps uh, benefiting nicely from cheap Russian oil, and I think they've had a you know, very strong pushback against the US who said, oh, stop buying Russian oil. But India's in a, a particular economic situation there with uh, obviously a very large population. Embargoes against Russia, obviously there's more that could happen, which maybe could happen more on the, the gas side, LNG side. That may not have been happening because a lot of the big LNG projects are still partly foreign-owned and Russian-owned, whereas oil had been, for quite a few years, very much re-nationalized by Russian groups. And a lot, we've seen a lot of big oil international oil companies sell out their stakes in the oil sectors. Probably not much more that can be done on the oil side, apart from a, just a complete ban of allowing Russian oil to, to move outside of Russia. But I think you know that would be... Uh, seen as a very aggressive move and so far we've been seeing more defensive moves in the whole play between Ukraine and Russia. Certainly for the shipping side, iron ore and the, that, that, those related movements tend to be the one that seen as one of the driving forces. What do you see happening with the iron ore market this year? Yeah, it's a bit of a mixed bag. I mean, obviously everyone is very positive now that China's opening up again after all of the COVID controls and lockdowns there. So economically things may start to get back on track the things the flip side to that is that we're still seeing recession in a lot of the end consumer markets in in europe and the states which uh, could be uh, potential buyers for the outputs there on top of that we're also seeing of course the backdrop of the 
de-Chinification of a lot of production as well, you know, moving to Mexico, to Vietnam as well, which I guess that's more of a medium to long-term kind of uh, situation, but uh, that is going to change the dynamics of uh, demand for you know, steel products, etc. Yeah, I see that factor you mentioned, de-Chinification, but you're talking about production for you know, goods, automobiles, things like that? Yeah, potentially, yes. So we're seeing already um, the immediate issues around like uh, fertilizer, certain products, iPhones to <laughs> to other products, which uh, America and certainly European firms have been trying to yeah. move out of China. Another sort of major commodity, although it's perhaps impacted by the whole sh- environmental shift, is coal on the dry side. What do you see happening there? Well, that was a bit of a surprising move. Obviously, we've seen because of the whole Ukraine-Russian situation. Uh, We've seen a lot of power stations being switched back on in Europe, UK, Germany, coming back in in terms of coal-fired power production. Um, That has obviously ramped up coal prices and demand in that respect in the short term here as well. So that looks pretty steady at the moment, pretty steady. I think we've seen US, we've seen that sort of shift, certainly in Europe, from Russian gas to American LNG. That takes time to redo the whole supply chains there. But I don't see uh, coal slipping off immediately. Despite environmental pressures to do so, people need to keep the lights on. So we are seeing that switch then back to coal, at least on a temporary basis, due to the the energy crunch that you're seeing in Europe and other Western countries? Yes, because obviously it takes time to put new gas supply contracts in place you know, we're seeing those coming from the US, etc. And then, of course, there's still you know, limits in terms of capacity for receiving gas by ship in Europe as well. So it all just takes time to go through the motions there. Well, no, actually, do you look at the gas prices? Because, I mean, they rocketed up enormously last year. What do you see happening with that? Yeah, I think gas prices have been easing off last time I looked because we've had a mild winter in Europe, for example. Because with the much milder weather, we were saved that in the European markets at least, so prices started to come off. What you tend to find is that they've they've built up gas storage, and typically what happens is that that's called the sort of the winter storage in Europe. They will sometimes release that in January or February into the market. UK sometimes a bit later, maybe in March after the final kind of cold spells hit. So far, the worst seems to be over there, the gas prices. And as you say, yes, the, the sort of import takes time to build up FSRUs and so forth. Yes. Yeah. You talked a little bit about grains at the start and the impact on the f- from the fertilizer side. Perhaps you can give a bit more color on what you see there. And in particular, you know, grains, but all, you know, corn, you know, um, expecting very strong prices there because of Ukraine. Soya, vegetable oils, for example, you know, we saw big spikes up in those prices last year. And with Ukraine off the market and continued disruption in the Black Sea for transportation, you know, all of those are going to be still subject to potential hoarding as well as, you know, spikes in prices um, as uh, the supply chain still tries to adjust. You do see kind of like an ongoing impact from Ukraine across quite a number of different markets. That's right, because also, I mean, um, you know, under the negotiations, both Russia and Ukraine 
were allowed to export, then but you still have the security issues for Ukrainian exports. But we may see, in terms of embargoes and sanctions, you know, if things tighten up further away from initially primarily uh, oiling, maybe then the gas industry it may feed into also controls around agricultural exports as well. So there could be some further price shocks to come. You talked also on the fertiliser side. Uh, that seemed to be focused on China. Or yep, that's right. So, I mean, we saw a bit of a pivot because of China chemical fertiliser export bans. I think they're still in play until end of April. They may be renewed. So alternatives came out of initially India, Turkey. Now we're seeing production being moved overseas to countries like Vietnam by producers. Do you see that as a more long-term shift? or? Uh... Yeah. Once these things happen, factories, jobs are moved. It takes another shock to put them back <laughs> to where they came from. So, yeah, I think there's been, obviously not only just on the grains, but on the fertiliser side, there has been quite a big concentration risk for quite some time. And it takes a shock like this to really bring it to people's attention. And we're now seeing that shift to produce more overseas in other countries. I mean, obviously you've got China reopening. Is that now going to sort of dampen that shock and then people perhaps return to what they were doing before? Like I said, I think there's a global de-Chinification, certainly by American and European countries, and also African countries. Um, Africa has perhaps been hit the hardest. It hasn't been reported that much, but Africa depended on grain exports from Ukraine. Many of the world food programs supporting famine release, etc., depended on Ukraine exports. And there has been uh, situations now with uh, fertilizer as well, the lack of that availability, which will also have impacts on uh, local yields as well, not just for exports. So I think if anything, you know, Africa you know, was very dependent on China exports and now sees that vulnerability and is actively trying to source from other countries now. So what's this going to mean in terms of trade flows? Well, I think we've certainly seen um, people talk about deglobalization. Uh, I think um, it's just not possible to totally deglobalize the market. There is only so much food you can grow and so much land, um, etc., etc. So, you know, there are many countries who will always be irreversibly dependent on certain products from overseas. But what we have seen certainly is the changes in some of those flows. It would be uh, certainly very interesting to sort of see the container tonnage from you know pre-COVID to post-COVID and you'd probably be able to actually visualize those shifts where stuff is coming from and going to um, but we've certainly been seeing that from our customers you know SME traders sourcing from different countries different products. So you are seeing those shifts in trade lanes? That's right and uh, I think if, if you were able to see all the data you'd probably see a very interesting picture. Do you get a sense of those trades being longer, which obviously would be beneficial to shipping, or are they actually shortening, which is not so good if you're shipping? It's a good question. This it's tough to say. Um, we see a small, a small picture of the big picture, but certainly I think general trend is to try to source locally if possible, or reduce that supply chain risk 
So, you know, buying closer to home, I think, is what we're seeing. Also seeing a move from just-in-time to just-in-case. So certainly seeing stock levels and inventory levels where possible increasing. That's also increased the need for inventory financing and uh, so that people can support larger stock without tying up their capital. We're seeing a lot of investors and people looking at the supply chain and trade finance and trade so because of that additional need for capital that perhaps is a end result of the sort of changes that we're observing. I mean, in terms of that sort of building up of those inventories, is that a process that's now already taken place or is that something that's in process? We saw that from you know, last year starting to come into play. We saw obviously very strong freight rates in the first half of last year, a lot of people restocking, rebuilding, and now potentially overstocking wherever possible. That process has sort of taken place. Yeah, I think that would contributed a bit. Uh, obviously uh, there was the supply side shock problems but then I think also the you know inflation was kind of the large jump in inflation we saw globally last year was a lot to do with that kind of sudden okay we need to suddenly restock and build stuff up inflation is expected to reduce this year and further next year I think uh, we saw even out of Davos a lot of the big uh, investment company leaders saying that really we, we should be seeing a, a sharp drop in inflation this year, maybe faster than a lot of the central banks were expecting. And I agree with that because I think you know the real jump was a supply side shock mixed with the fact that people were having to suddenly restock and try to build a bit of a buffer. You started off by saying the market is very volatile. Is that volatility going to reduce, or are we still looking at a very volatile picture? When we talk about volatility, certainly in the the traded markets, we talk about upside and downside volatility. So I think uh, uh, on the commodity side, uh, apart from oil, which suddenly things change, we don't expect big downside drops. So at the moment, we're we're still more sensitive to upside uh, volatility. So prices spiking up because of uh, uh, conflict with Russia-Ukraine escalating, you know, further logistical issues maybe spilling out from that, or even oil and gas-related supply issues from that as well, which could impact costs of shipping goods around the world potentially. For those in these markets, are there particular things that you think they should be aware of looking into the next 11, 12 months? Well, we've got, I think probably seen the biggest moves up already last year in terms of the cost of money. Central banks, although still a bit hawkish, um, I think, you know, we've seen the the, the major moves up in in the cost of liquidity, cost of uh, funding. So we should be looking out for rates potentially even easing towards the end of this year into next year with very small 25 basis points, 50 basis points increases over the next three to six months. Otherwise, I think it's really biggest concerns on the commodity side seem to be on the food supply side, so the key grains, including corn and the vegetable oils. You know, those are still, because of what's going on in Europe, some of the big areas of focus and concern. Good to know what to look out for. Is there anything else you'd like to add? The only other thing, I guess, is that you know, for the moment, obviously, we've seen very interesting coal market situation. 
which um, is also supporting you know, the, the, the dry bulk side of things, but this is just a short-term phase once the energy markets, particularly in Europe, have rebalanced themselves with new gas supplies, then the pressure, of course, the environmental pressures will be to switch those coal-fired power stations back off. <laughs> and I guess we have to get ready for the uh, drop on the, the coal side eventually. Thank you so much for taking the time today. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to the Sea Trade Maritime Podcast. Please make sure to subscribe on the app of your choice so that you never miss an episode. Until the next episode, stay safe.